This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 514. And the quote of the day is, be proud of your struggles. Adversity brings out the best in us. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's happening? Nick Ruffini here, episode 514, and thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. 514 episodes. I'm guessing that you've listened to every single one and have detailed notes on every single one of them. So uh, send them over to me if you have the notes and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'll do with them. Okay. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. The coffee's going to my brain, but seriously, thank you so much for, for listening. Thanks for checking out the podcast. If this is your first time here, I appreciate you. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome to the family. If there's anything I can ever do for you, feel free to hit me up. I'm at nick at drummersresource.com. I'm on all the socials at Drummers Resource and also the Nick Ruffini if you want to reach out to me personally. Anywho, let's get into this conversation. This is with my man, Matt Musty, and this is his second time on the show. The first time I had him on, we were at his spot in the Los Feliz area, and this time we're in Studio City recording it. And... The last time he was on, we talked about sort of his history and his work with Grace Potter and all of that stuff. And now we talk about his new gig with the band Train. So Drew Scholes, who I've had on the podcast, who is a friend of mine, he went back to studying law. And so Train needed a new drummer and they tapped Matt Musty for the gig. So we talk about all that and we get a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which is kind of cool. He talks about how he learned all the songs and and how he got the gig and transitions that he had to make and the decision to take this band or to take this gig uh, and leave playing with Grace Potter. And there's a lot of other things that, that go on in here. And then he also talks about when he mo- when he made the move to L.A. and the struggles that he had getting gigs and getting session work and all that stuff, a very open open, honest, candid conversation from Matt. And I can't speak highly enough about him as a drummer and more importantly to me as a person. He is a genuine dude, just a sweetheart of a guy. And he talks about how he constantly has great people around him. And I always believe that you are a mirror or you're, you're, the people who you surround yourself with are a mirror of you, and I, I definitely believe that with Matt. So great to have him back on the podcast for another round, and we're not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Matt Musty. So we are in Studio City, California. Thanks for being here, dude. Thank sorry you. For the, sorry for the uh, the snafu. Oh man, thank you, thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, it's been a, it's been like a year, right? Uh, it's been longer than a year. And oh, if shoot. I was an, a real professional at this, I would have looked up when oh, that's your okay. your last episode aired. But I think it was like two years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, you you have outgifted me uh, and outclassed me. Because the first time, the first <laughs> time we, we got to, we got to do an interview, I bought you a coffee and hosted, and now this time you're hosting, and you brought me a coffee, a bottle of water, and a beautiful bottle of wine. So I can't thank you enough, Nick. You're a, you're a class act. Well, this is your second time on, so like yeah. the third time, like you got to get me a car, or I got to get you a car. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. liking how it's this my is turn to gift, and okay. then you'll get me a house for the fourth. <laughs> there will be no fourth interview. <laughs> It stops at three. You wanted a 92 Camry, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, 
obviously a lot has happened since between, you know since the time that we talked before um you're playing with Grace Potter. You're now playing with Train. And initially, you had mentioned you were thinking, okay, maybe this will just be the summer tour. Um, and it's turned into what is seemingly going to be like a full-time gig now for you, right? Yeah. We, we kind or of... not seemingly, but it is. Yeah. So we, we took the... Um, I guess I just did the audition. They, they, they were interested, and we talked about it a little bit. And I said, hey, I got these, these commitments with Grace. And they said... Well, let's just let's just plan on the summer tour and just see where we're at. Mm-hmm. And um, about a month into that, they asked they asked if I could go full time, and I I uh, immediately just called Grace, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, man, so she's almost she's like a sister to you. She right? really is. She's it's not she's just a like a you're not just a guy who plays drums for someone. No, she's family, right. and right. and she considers me family, and I feel very fortunate to just be in her atmosphere at all. Um, but the but the thing that she did, which was what really what just what a beautiful friends thing to do. She goes, wow. Well, I know I know you're always looking for more and looking for other things, and just you you're not complacent. You don't sit idly by and do things. I know you take auditions and you look for opportunities, and mm-hmm. this sounds just like you, and you'd be a great fit on this gig. And I'm just ecstatic for you. I'm bummed for me. Right. But ecstatic for you, and I thought that was such a beautiful, wonderful thing that we have no hard feelings, and it's great. We still hang out, and we're very, we're very close, and I can't say enough about her. Because I mean, that can go south easily, right? Yeah, I mean, either and either way, right? You yeah, can, if and you Eric, handle- her husband and producer, said the same thing. They both just separately said the most beautiful things about me, and said, "Man, right. you're." You're welcome. Just you're part of the family, so don't think that this changes anything. Right. Other than you're not touring with us. Yeah. Now, how uh, does how I'm does about your... to go up to their festival actually in Burlington, Vermont. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that you know, and they have a great new drummer, Jordan West. This woman in Calabasas, she's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. So how does your name how does your name get thrown in the hat first of all for the train gig? I want I want to sort of walk through the steps of how all this happens because a lot of times this happens with you know, with us as drummers where you have an opportunity and whether it be, you know, Grace Potter and Train or whether it be, you know, Band A and Band B and it right. might just be some local guys that you're playing with, whatever the, right. there's still the same sort of like personal implications, right, of people that you've been playing with that you may have another opportunity. So I want to sort of walk through those steps and maybe it'll sort of help other people if they have to make this decision. Sure. You know, yeah. like how these nuts and bolts work. Well, the fir- in the first interview, we went over how I got the Grace gig, which was just kind of dumb luck. I was happened to be in the opening band when mm-hmm. the drummer left, and I was holding a pair of sticks, and I was the nearest drummer by, and they, <laughs> they tried me for a couple weeks, and it worked, and they were like, please stay on. Right. This was a more typical... This was more of a typical, like, audition scenario. My mm-hmm. friend, Shaben... But mm-hmm. Batakaria, he's a local bass player and producer. He used to play bass for Matt Nathanson. Okay. Uh, and that's how he knows the guys from Train, because they toured together. But uh, And now he's a producer in town and a, a total dude in town. And mm-hmm. I hadn't heard from him in a while. And he was like, hey, so I put you in for an audition. You should be hearing from the guys from Train. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I'd Did you know that. that Drew had left or no? I hadn't, no. No, no but, but Drew... Uh, Drew, I, I won't speak for Drew, but he he left, uh, I think winter of last year, and he he saw that there wasn't anything on the books for a while, and he he had wanted he pursued a uh, went back to his life in law, yeah, which is kind of incredible that the guys 
that good at two things. I mean, I that was. Imagine. I mean, that whole story is amazing. Where yeah. he was like, he was playing with Pat, like his side stuff. Yeah, and then was practicing law, and they called him and were like, "Are you tired of being a lawyer yet? Do you yeah. want to join Train?" And it's yeah. like, uh, okay, I guess I can go do this. For He's a, just a, a grade A badass. He and is. He actually he is. came to our New York show, and we had the greatest hang. Nice. And He's he a, and he's I are a good friends. Dude. And yeah, he is a good, a very good dude. He yeah. is a wonderful guy. I'm very, very lucky to be surrounded by people who like know how to behave in in potentially awkward situations. You know, like just class act. Like he passed the torch. He did like an online post and was like, "Hey, I think you know they've got a new guy, Matt Musty, who's going to be great for the gig." And he thanked everyone for mm-hmm. changing his life. And it was just he's really uh, between him and Grace and you. It's just. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded just, by good people, I'm man. Just, I'm very that's fortunate. That's a mirror, though. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I truly 100% believe that, that that is a mirror of you. And the people that are around you are around you for a specific reason. It's because you you exude that energy and you're, you're that type of person, so you you attract that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I, hope I don't come off uh, as fake or anything, but I, I do try to come, you know, make the right decisions. And, right. Not I don't. Yeah, I don't asshole. think anyone would ever think that you yeah. come off as fake or an yeah. asshole. Well, yeah. thank you. Sure. <laughs> Once we turn the tape off, I'll tell you whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you. Tell me what you really think. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you get your you get your name thrown in the hat for this for this audition. Were you sort of like, oh my god, like I would imagine yeah. you get that call and it's kind of like. Um. Well, I mean, I had gone. I I tend to go on auditions just periodically anyway, and I I never expect to get it because I audition poorly you know I generally speaking I audition poorly so this was like I went in with like the jaded like okay not gonna get this you know but like man I don't know just do your best and Mm -hmm. whatever why do you think you audition poorly nerves or just like it's just not your nerves it's a weird scenario it's like a bunch of strangers in like a sound stage and you're Mm -hmm. walking in like like an American Idol thing it feels like totally cold yeah totally yeah and so I just you know I don't know I, I I think I came in not expecting anything, and therefore, my nerves were in check because I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, this isn't gonna work." Right. So it's interesting. Yeah. Some people say to like, go in and audition like you're gonna get the gig. You have that confidence. I have the opposite. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not gonna get the gig. I'm the worst musician. <laughs> Whatever. You know, the, all the there's a million other guys who are better than me who are going out for it, but it, it ended up working out, and we just ended up playing Zeppelin and. Making bad jokes. Yeah, he's yeah. A, Pat's like a huge Zeppelin fan, right? Yeah, they yeah. did an album with Drew actually playing drums. That's awesome. It, they did Led Zeppelin too. Yeah, yeah, front to back, and they nice. covered everything, and it's awesome. Um, so, so once you go in, you audition, and was there a second audition, a third audition, all that, or they were they no. just like, no, this works. And yeah, then, I think and then they it's were, decision time. It was for just you. availability and, right. and stuff at that point, putting together the pieces. Mm-hmm. And Jerry, the the MD, uh, and I went back and forth on phone calls and sort of. I think he was just kind of feeling it out, making sure I wasn't a total lost cause. Right. You know. Right. Um, yeah, and it worked. And we just got done this summer tour with uh, Alan Stone and the Goo Goo Dolls, and it's been fantastic. I can't say enough about that camp and that crew. Mm-hmm. Alan's great, man. Alan's amazing. He's so good. <laughs> And I, you know, I've, I actually like somehow he I end up seeing him like touring with friends of mine or something like yeah. that. So like he was with he was out with Hall Notes, right? Not, I'm not friends with Hall Notes, obviously. But, oh, Alan was. Yeah, so I didn't he know that. he did a tour with with Hall Notes. So I was at the Hall Notes show yeah. and like you know because a couple of my buddies are there and mm-hmm. 
or in that camp, and he was there. And then he toured with OAR. Yeah. And so like I'm the friends with the guys, OAR. At, uh, the mighty OAR, and he was there. Yeah. And like now he's you know touring with Train. It's just funny. He's, like he is a scary talent, man. He's I know. A, he's absurd, and he wears the craziest clothes on stage, like the craziest outfits you have. One's a jumpsuit, and the other's this like white kind of two-piece oversized white shirt with like I don't even know what the logo on it almost looks like almost reminds me of like a Chiquita logo the banana logo (laughs) but um anyway so the last show of the tour was in Boston and we all managed to find those suits online and during his his like last song or something we all went out on stage and did a a Alan Stone all of a sudden there's six Alan Stones on stage instead of just the one <laughs> it was really great yeah, that I can't say enough about both of those camps they're all awesome yeah yeah we all became pretty close nice this summer so nice so how do you, how do you make the decision of whether to do it I mean obviously there's like the compensation aspect of it because right like let's be honest here you know we're this is your job this is your career yeah. right so you have to you have to make decisions one that are that are the best financial decisions yeah but also the best decision for you just in general, right? It's yeah. not always all, it's not all about the money. I think as far as the compensation goes, as your life and career goes on, it's, you know, you have amount X that will take you, that is able to take you out of town. Right. And I think that increases depending on where you're at and mm-hmm. you have to take that seriously because being out of town is a, is a total thing. Like that's one of the calculations too is if I'm out of town for, four months like I was this summer yeah people stop calling so much right you know and you this whatever you've built up because you do a lot of session work too I end up doing being very fortunate in the session world here and, right. and I'm I've, I'm kind of building that up over time mm-hmm. but you know I, I, I end up playing a, a lot of great music with a lot of great people and you do sacrifice a chunk of that which to me is is more than money you know, yeah. more than the financial aspect, that's very valuable to me. And so to leave that is another element of that com- right. uh, calculation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like, obviously, if you're not here, you're not working. But like you said, if you're gone for three, four, five months, and then you see someone and they're like, oh, I would have called you for this gig. You know, yeah. I thought you were out of town. And you're like, no, I was Yeah. You, you're this out of town guy who doesn't. Right. Yeah. So it's that, it's the hang, it's, uh, it's your personal life. Like I, I didn't, I didn't love leaving Allison for four months, basically. You mm-hmm. know, she flew out a couple times, and I, I flew back a couple, you know, here and there when you can. Right. Uh, but Was this the longest tour you've busy. done? Like, solid chunk of... It's definitely the the most consistent, like, we... It was you're probably gone for three four... months of playing, and then, like, maybe two weeks of other stuff beforehand. Right. So, but are, are you home at all? Like, are you flying back at all, or you're just out for... During that chunk, mm-hmm. there was one break where we were home for four days. Wow. And that was it. Wow. So that's like, to me, that's extreme. I know guys work a lot more than that, but Mm -hmm. man, that's for me, especially coming off of three years of not being on the road, just being in town, being real comfortable (laughs) and Netflix at night, my own bed. Yeah. You know, so it was a change. It was a change for me, but uh, a welcomed one. And and, uh, it's been working out great. I love those guys. It's been super fun. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. I think... uh, the idea of being on the road is a lot more glamorous than than people think it is like it's a sure it's a ton of fun and there's all these amazing experiences but then like they always say you don't get you don't get paid to play you get paid for the other 23 hours that you're you're not on the road and 
3 a.m. lobby calls and missed flights and sleeping on a bus and, you know, bumpy roads and day so rooms true. and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what are some of the aspects of, of touring that you really love or and what are some of the things that you that you don't really love on the road? Well, obviously the playing part of it is always is always the best part right. for me. That's why you do it. This is why you've picked up drumsticks in the first place is mm -hmm. you visualize some crowd going crazy as you play their favorite song. Right. You know, um, that's a given. Um, the other thing is the is the hang, the rapport. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with this crew and with Grace's, with Grace's, with Grace's tour, there's still to this day from the Midnight tour, uh, uh, a text chain between That's all amazing. the band and crew, just like pictures, photos of their day, pizza Fridays, and like you know, and and this summer was no different than that. It was just constant hang. I've never met a band who like even on days off when you've been together in the same tiny space for eight days in a row mm -hmm. day off comes and you're the guys are like so where are we getting breakfast We're st they nice. still want to hang and yeah. it's, that's a really beautiful beautiful thing that I don't think everyone gets I'm, that's a very lucky yeah. element yeah I mean have. and there's a lot of and you hear it a lot there's a lot of camps that where it's just like everyone just stays away from each other they just they yeah. just do their and they walk in like and we, and we did that and they, too you know yeah, we, of course. We, there's moments where you need that too mm -hmm. and like you know me and Luis, the guitarist, we're we're uh, we're both LA guys. We're mm -hmm. the two LA guys from the band, and we're like, oh yeah, let's hang when we get home, and we just never end up getting there because we're like, you know, I'm gonna see you in a little bit, yeah. so you do your <laughs> thing, I'm gonna do my thing, and if I'm hanging with anyone who's not Allison, I'm, it's gonna be some friends who I haven't seen in four months, right? You know, that makes sense. But we, it's a, there's a lot of love in. in in what what I where I've toured, so I, I'm very happy about that. Mm. What That's about the, my favorite thing. What about the drawbacks of it? What don't you like about it? Oh, being away, you know, yeah. having a phone relationship with Allison. You mm -hmm. know, it's like it, it's that that part of it's hard, but you know, at least I'm not overseas on on, on a tour of Iraq or something. Right. You know, I, I keep that. I try to keep that in perspective when I'm feeling sorry for myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like I'm on the road playing music. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything's great. I feel like you wear some of that, like some of that guilt. Once, because even with yeah. the, you were saying, like you feel bad sleeping in because you know that you grew up in like a farm family. Oh yeah, like, I know my family's been up for hours. I know. know. I I carry around farmer's guilt. Like, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, because I I know in the back of my mind, my uncles have been up since four. Right. Yeah. Did you grow up in that too, though? Were you like yeah. up at four working and? Well, no. I mean, I would do like the later, the later shifts and stuff. But I did grow up. You know kind of the farm was about I don't know two houses down from mine and we right. lived on the actual property our house was on the property and um, I just went back uh, as soon as we, we finished in Boston so I was able to go up to New Hampshire to the farm for mm -hmm. a few days and and I actually ended up doing chores just like the old days and it was it actually really great nice yeah do you think that's where your your work ethic comes from yeah yeah definitely I you mean, seem my, like you my parents a... and my uncles like the those two entities are are the four single hardest working people I've ever seen in my lifetime. Right. Yeah. But because I, I feel like you have a, a pretty strong work ethic. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good. Yeah. It's good. When I go home, I'm like, man, I'm lazy. Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I got my uh, my family has been in the restaurant business for yeah. you know since the seven. I see it. Like my parents still working their asses off. Yeah. You know. And that's I'm another like, thankless one. That's yeah, just oh, yeah. impossible. Yeah. yeah, but I feel the same way a lot. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm like man, I need to, 
step up my game a little yeah. bit. And, and another reason to feel very fortunate to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm always interested in, in the idea of, of like, I don't, I don't want to call it the grind because that sounds like a negative term to me. Yeah. But like, it's a very LA term. It the is. The hustle. The, the grind, hustle. The man. grind. Got to stay on the grind. Yeah. Bro. Uh, but, what are what are some of the things for you that that keep you moving forward or that keep you because in th this industry is it, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow there's you know there's gigs that are going to come and go there's lean times you know and then there's there's great times and there's bad times and all what what sort of keeps you focused and like constantly just putting one foot in front of the other yeah i i think it's setting setting realistic next step goals mm -hmm. you know like not looking to to where i'm going to be in 10 years but maybe looking at where i'm going to be in six months and how to achieve that right you know? can we talk about some of that of like maybe not sure. your specific things like sure. we don't I, I don't we need we don't need to like dig into all your stuff oh i'm happy to go as uh, deep as you want man but like how would you how would you plan that out for yourself like how like how do you because there's so many intangibles of yeah. like you can't just be like i'm gonna get more gigs in the next six months. And it's like, well, if you get one gig, yeah, then you've done, you've achieved it. And you're like, well, I didn't want this gig. You well, know? one of the things that I haven't, I don't think I've ever really talked about um, is, the, is the day job thing. Like I lived in New York um, uh, for about four years of my life. And mm -hmm. during that time, that was pre-Uber. So I was, uh, I was working, you either, as a musician, you either had to work at a bar or a restaurant. I worked right. at a restaurant, early shift, 6 a.m. clock in. Um, and then in the afternoon, I would do stuff in music. And at night, I would hopefully play gigs, mm -hmm. you know. And that was an all-day, very little sleep, early 20s kind of thing. And right. I, I really appreciate that experience. I would never do it again. <laughs> but um, that, that was one thing that kind of helped me, you know, bought me time in New York. Right. So I was able to... I mean, break even, hardly. Especially but, in New York, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. Uh, then I moved to Nashville. I started driving Uber at mm -hmm. that point. Um, it was kind of a fresh slate in my life. I had just gotten separated and, you know, kind of bought a car and headed to Nashville and just followed a feeling down there. Right. Started meeting people and, you know, got lucked into the Grace gig, and mm -hmm. that was a, a turning point in my life for sure. And then I got here. Well, I had I had started dating Allison at that point. I had moved to LA. Um, and then as soon as I got here, I got the car registered and started doing Uber again because I knew the move had cost me money, different things. You know, Grace wasn't touring. I didn't have any sessions lined up. I was like, well, I better get in the car and get back to work. Right. And that really wasn't that long ago. That was three years ago. Right. So that's that's part of the situations like I know doing your doing easy math I know how much I need to survive on mm -hmm. I didn't get it I didn't get a place that's well way beyond my means I need to make X amount of dollars this week and this month and I know that that's a that's a really visual goal where you mm -hmm. can say okay either I did or I didn't right and I managed to just keep doing that and meeting people and you know one thing led to another but it's been a wonderful run and you can easily see the the steps right looking back the the interesting part about it is that you you have the ability to take your ego and put it to the side and be like look oh no i don't <laughs> i'm just kidding uh because i think a lot of, there's 
and I, I don't see you as this type of person, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you don't seem the per seem like the type of person who wears it like a badge of honor that all you do is play drums for a living to make money. So you're not willing to go do other things to make money. I know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not going to do anything but play music. And it's like, yeah, but you made $100 this week. Yeah. Like you, you do need to feel make that. More. You do feel that in, in the constant comparing yourself to your peers that right. I think all of us do. I know I do. And mm -hmm. it, it you can go down a competitive, really bad rabbit hole with that. But uh, I'm actually proud of that, that you know, I, I don't think anything was handed to me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, and I'm, I'm also proud of that in a weird way. It's a, it's a bummer to, I guess, to have a day job, but like, it's really not because you're, you're working your ass off. You're trying to achieve a goal and that's something you should kind of, you know, I don't know. You should be, you should be proud of that. And right. I, I am. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who would, who would let their ego get the best of them yeah. and not go drive Uber or I mean, not go get a day gig. I wasn't not... sitting there on Instagram on my drummer page that says, I am a drummer. I am a drummer. I'm a drummer going, had a great day on Uber today. Right. But still, I'm not, not saying it. Right. You know, it's mm -hmm. nothing I'm, well, I fought with being embarrassed about it, but I decided one day that I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm what? actually proud of it. I think that, I think that that just get coming to terms with it. Uh, I think that's important. I think it's huge. Yeah. I think that that is getting in the way of a lot of people because I think what happens is a lot of people are are so focused on not ha not having a day job, right? right, and just playing drums for a living. But you have all if you're if you're if you're not making enough money to play music, yeah. chances are you have a lot of free time. And yeah. if you're sitting on your couch and watching TV, wish, waiting for the phone to ring, wishing and hoping, it's foolish to not go out and make money. And I think what happens is people get to the point where they have no other option and they have to give up on playing drums totally and just go get a full-time right. job right. and can't do anything else because they, you know, yeah. they, they made the choice to, to like... No, I'm going to I'm going to yeah. keep playing. I'm just going to play drums and that's it. And then when you finally earn the 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 right maybe right. Is, uh, maybe the wrong way to put it, but you when you finally earn the right to not have a day job and you're making enough money consistently and filling in the blanks when you need to, you still have that responsibility to, okay, I have 6 free hours today. What I'm going to do with that is go learn um, a DAW, like get into Pro Tools, get into Ableton. I have a responsibility to keep mastering my craft because I've earned the freedom to do so Right. in that time. Instead yep. of sit there and watch Netflix. I'm a big Netflix fan. <laughs> I'm watching Schitt's Creek right now and it's probably the greatest show ever. Um, but you know what? You you do. If you're, if you're fired up enough and clearly you are if you've earned the right to have free hours in the day uh, to, you know, learn master and extend your craft mm -hmm. yeah there's there's the idea of that people are like oh yeah of course like put you like let's take you for example right and they would say yeah of course like if you're if you're practicing two hours a day right and they're like oh of course he gets to practice two hours a day he's mad and he plays in train and all this stuff and it's like no 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 he plays in train because he practiced two hours a day right. or you know like you're you're you get to do these things because you've put in the work not the other way around you're not putting in the work because right. you've a, you've achieved some success right. you've achieved the success because you've put in the work and i think right. there's a there's a distinction there that that a lot of people get cloudy on yeah and i think i think 
that that weeds itself out out really quick. I mean, has Buckley been on the show? Mm -hmm. Brendan Buckley. Yeah. He's a guy who's like he's touring, he's working, he's working his ass off, and he's practicing his ass off when he's yeah. home. You see it all the time. And Blair Sinta, same thing. It's Blair's he's, the same way, yeah. He's the same thing, and I think, I think that's a constant. That's mm -hmm. a constant with with guys who are working and realize the value of what they're doing and why, why they need to keep it up because right. there's plenty of great players in town in just LA alone who mm -hmm. will gladly take a gig. Right. And, I don't know. There's no room for complacency yeah not at all yeah what what is your and this may be hard to 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 comment on but do you have like do you have any advice for that person who's maybe not making it as a musician full-time but resistant to go get the day job or like how did you was there any way that you got over it or were you just like you know what fuck it like i gotta get over this and just go do it i just had to get over it i yeah. really did i mean there was i think in my 20s there was this this chip on the shoulder more. I mean, I'm sure there still is, and I'm a I'll look back when I'm in my 40s and say, man, I didn't know anything. But seriously, looking back in my 20s, there was a chip on my shoulder that I needed to be working the most. Right. Yeah. And and doing that. I don't know. It's it's a hard it's a hard calculation for everyone. I think different people grew up with different advantages or disadvantages, mm -hmm. and those who've had the most advantages, it's harder to get get to work. Right. And and really honor that process mm -hmm. yeah i don't know how much you you pay attention to sort of what everyone else is doing but do you what what do you see out there that like do you see mistakes that people are making like in terms of trying to advance their careers or trying to get more gigs or, or? i see things that i wouldn't do mm -hmm. but i i don't know if i'm if i'm the right judge of how how to skin this cat now because it's such a complex world yeah. social media and all that stuff being an instagram or youtube drummer versus someone who's you know kind of really working right yeah that's a that's a big distinction that i don't know that's a that's a conversation with a lot of people i know but um you know it's everyone's everyone's got their own thing and has to find their own voice and uh it's a weird age i mean some people are doing patreon pages some people are doing podcasts like right. this guy the drummer's resource guy <laughs> i know this guy nick who's just doing the podcast thing and it's awesome Cut, sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's hard to it's hard to know. Yeah. What the right way is, but uh, I'm happy with the way I've done it. Mm -hmm. I, to me, I feel like a, it's a good balanced thing. Right. Slightly shameless when you have to be. You know, if mm -hmm. if your companies need you to put something up, I just do it. Right. You know. Uh, but I'm not doing it constantly either. Right. Yeah. I think one of the. I mean, my take on it with the. Uh, with the idea, like you were saying about YouTube, Instagram drummer, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think that if you if you want to do that, if you want to be an Instagram drummer or YouTube, great, that's fine, like totally cool, go do your thing. Yeah. It gets more people into drumming. Like I'm all. I about, watch like, those videos all yeah, the time. Like anything that has to do with <laughs> drumming, I'm cool with. I'm not really into like the gimmicky stuff, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to see anyone like stick tricks. I'm not into stick tricks <laughs> or like spinning symbols and all that kind of stuff. But like. Uh, but if that's what you want to do, I'm totally cool with it. And like, yeah. and they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves. Yeah. And what, like, what? How do you how do you say that that's wrong, right? I think my the the beef. I don't even want to say it's a beef, but the, the I guess the constructive criticism that I have is that if you want to get more gigs and you want to play live and you want to get with MDs and other musicians and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to get there by playing Blazing Chops and putting it on YouTube. Right. So, like, I feel like you're you're 
you're displaying skills that that are not the right skills that are going to get you hired. So like you should yeah. just figure that out. Yeah, in my that's been my experience. I don't I don't know for sure, but like I th- I think plenty of people have been hired off of YouTube videos and stuff like that, but depends on the band and yeah, mm-hmm. in my experience it's never been that. It's been hey, can you play fewer notes? Right. This pass, <laughs> right. you know. Uh so I don't really know. And also I don't think I would if I was a YouTube quote unquote YouTube drummer that I would be able to offer anything that hasn't been said. You know, right. I learned from that stuff and but like Craig McIntyre from the Goo Goo Dolls, great example of a guy who's really musical, meat and potatoes, understands what he's putting out there, mm-hmm. the most consistent kick drum sound every night. Right. I watched him for months this summer and it's just he's dialed in every yeah. night and he's not there's no ego with what he's playing. He's playing the perfect fill for the that part of the song and he picks his moments right and um it's beautiful to see and i i think it takes a certain personality to appreciate that versus someone who wants to see maybe more chops mm-hmm. all night sort of a a drum sport thing right. right but i love i love musicality and that's that's where i'm i think i'm lucky to have fallen in the industry mm-hmm. uh. i it's it's interesting because Unfortunately, I think that whatever's whatever's popular at the moment, I feel like everyone feels like they have to do that. And the problem is, like I, 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 you and I are the same type of player in terms of, uh, like, I would say that you and I are both like more mean potatoes guys. Like, but I look at I look at all the choppy stuff, and I'm like, I just can't do it. Like I just oh, physically, like I, it, it's just not going to happen, yeah. right? And I've like worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And like oh, yeah. f- when I was younger, and I was like, I'm just never going to, I'm never going to play as fast as Tony Royster Jr. or something like yeah. that, right? And uh, so I think it's sort of like knowing your your strengths and your weak strengths and weaknesses, and sort of like I hate being, I hate the word self aware, but that's like a buzzword now. But like being self aware of like what are you really good at, and then just going deep into that and just be really good at that thing agreed like, yeah if you can play a shuffle like a motherfucker yeah like dial it in like right. really or you know. or just beyond playing like understand what I, what i've been doing is understanding textures and sounds and what i'm delivering to a microphone and through a preamp through a certain signal chain into the other side of the glass you know right. i've i've been lucky to work with eric valentine on a bunch of stuff and that's a master class in mm-hmm. like holy cow, I did not expect this, what I was hearing in the room, to sound, sound like, like that. that, what I'm hearing behind the glass. Right. So it's that's what I've been focusing on, and I think everyone finds what they want to dive into and, and be aware of. Right. Yeah, yeah. your priorities change based on that, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I th- it, yeah instead I just... of doing more rudiments during the day, I'm like maybe buying more implements to hit the drums with and see how they sound and what they deliver. Mm-hmm. I saw Aaron Sterling using this big big blue brush one time on a drum and it just had a totally different sound i immediately went out and got some of those yeah because i want that sound yeah everyone wants the aaron sterling yeah man (laughs) he's the best it's just interesting that i feel like everyone just goes in this into one specific lane because they're like oh that's what's cool now so let me work on that thing where it's like man if you find your thing and not that like i'm speaking like i've done this but like if you find the lane that really works for you and you're cool. Like it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Just do yeah. your thing and do it well, and you will. You'll get. You'll get picked for the things that you're good at. Yeah, or you, you know? won't, and like something will come up in six months that's really cool. Right. You know that you go down that 
tangent. Mm -hmm. Why not? I agree. We're all here to play music. Exactly. Uh, so I want to switch up. I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to to the train thing about learning learning the tunes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're learning. You know, you're learning not only a live show that has had different drummers, right? You're learning records, different drummers on it. Uh, you obviously want to stay true to what's happening, but you also want to like put your mark on it. Mm -hmm. How did you approach that whole thing and then learning all these tunes and then making it your thing? Yeah, um, I did the same thing that I, I, I did with Grace, the same process, you know, you're learning a bunch of material. How many songs did you have to learn? For Train, it ended up being probably 30, mm -hmm. 30 to 40, same with Grace. Right. Um, <clears throat> And that process for me is always the same. I, I have this little charting system. Like I think all the drummers in town have this, not the same system, but slightly derivative of each other's. Mine's like a Nashville numbers based thing. Mm -hmm. that looks totally like chicken scratch, but it's, <laughs> you know. It works. It works. And I visualize the chart. I play, I play the songs down with the charts for a while, mm -hmm. as long as that is. Are you learning from live shows or studio? Or I, I hit up Drew for a bunch of arrangement stuff and Jerry, the MD, mm -hmm. and I said, what do I need to know? Can, and they sent me board mixes of the last summer's tour and like the different arrangements, because the arrangements change mm -hmm. um, and have evolved, because they're, they're a band that's been around for 30 years. Right. You're saying they so, changed from the from the studio. Yeah, so like Meet Virginia, I'm not going to learn from the record because that song's been around for 20 years. They have a live arrangement that they do where they they throw out t-shirts and there's a whole situation going on there. That took me a minute to like get my mind around that new arrangement right. of a song that I've heard forever. Mm -hmm. Uh but yeah, so I I'll I'll take all the songs, chart them out just so I can see visually. I'm pretty visual with that stuff. Um and then I'll start going off book, start weaning myself off book with songs that I feel are the staples of the of the set or whatever, um, and then more and more of that. And then uh, for like the, you know, if I hear something that I know is a signature fill, I'm gonna do that. And generally, my my judgment on that has been pretty solid. There were only a couple moments that they've mentioned be like, hey this fill in Soul Sister, we need that little ghost note because we're, we've been hearing that song, that, that fill for 10 years right, and right. Uh, we're going to want that, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that's, for me, that's my process. You got to mm -hmm. visualize it. And even in my head, as I'm going down until we're like touring solid and everything's on cruise control, I'm still visualizing the chart right? and saying, I know the second chorus happens around this part of the page, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's. I think it's an efficient enough system. So for your, for yourself, are you thinking like you're trying to mimic what you're hearing from the live show, or are you saying, let me, I want to like, are you interpreting it differently, or are you just trying to interpret it the way that it was on the live? I think I'm trying to interpret it as true to form as, especially the first time you're out with them, you right. want to just be like you, wallpaper. Yeah. Like you don't, like it's like it should feel the same as if Drew was up there. Right, you don't want to rock And the then boat. inevitably... Because I'm a different person and a different player than Drew, you end up kind of falling into your own habits and mm -hmm. putting your own spin on the on the music, right? While still hopefully pay, paying. And you do something, you're like, did they? Okay, they didn't say anything. Yeah. I guess I'll keep doing that thing. <laughs> and with this, and there was also a bit of like stuff that I've never had to do, like the side snare and the kick drum are triggered depending on the song, and then there's an SPD pad on the left, right? And there's you know different. There's there's a little auxiliary percussion stuff, a little hi hat tambourine. Had you worked shaker. with like triggering or anything like that with Grace? No. 
So how did you, that's it's super interesting to me. Like, yeah. how, do, how do you learn all of that stuff? Well, Sounds like a stupid question. Out of but, necessity, you know, you, you but how, so like, show me which pad to hit and when, and I'll execute that. Because we're drummers, we can right. be told what to so do. So let's, re let's rewind a little bit, right? Yeah. So you and I talked about, so people don't know that you and I were here two days ago to do an interview, yeah. and we had a Pro Tools snafu. Yeah. Uh, but we Must did, be the first time in history <clears throat> that Pro Tools has ever messed up. I think up. It, is, it probably yeah. is. Uh, but you and I talked a little bit about sort of like the behind the scenes stuff and everything, right? So you, yeah. you get the gig and they're like, all right, you have to learn all these songs, mm -hmm. right? First, you're like, okay, let me start just learning them down, you know, in, in, in my shed. Mm -hmm. But then you realize, oh, some of this stuff is triggered, I guess, right? Like, and then you, okay, I got it. Now I got to buy this, an SB, uh, you know, an a, uh, SPD, SP, uh, SPD, uh, SPD, SX or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes, I had one of those already because Craig Mack, Craig right. McIntyre, two years ago, he, he kind of came into my life and became a mentor. Him mm -hmm. and Blair Sinta have been very super incredible and generous with, with their time with me. And, uh, you know, to, for one of our first conversations, Craig was like, do you, do you have a multipad? And I was like, no, man, I, I don't need that. And he's like, man, get your head out of your ass, get one of those today mm -hmm. and get hip. Right. And I said, all right, I got to do it. Right. So... So I was. I have a general level of knowledge with that stuff. It's mm -hmm. it's very basic though. Right. And luckily on the train gig, uh, the the drum tech, this guy John Jackson, he's amazing. Everyone calls him Captain. Mm -hmm. um, he's his attention to detail is incredible, and he sets all that stuff up. And I just need to hit it. Right. You know. Got so, you. so. So really, it like, was okay, a discussion I... with Drew about what what the particular parts are. And, and with Captain too, of like, okay, what am I doing here? What's the muscle memory? And then in my space, I would set up a side snare and a pad, but still be just listening to live arrangements, but playing, doing the muscle memory thing as if I was the one playing it. So by the time it came to rehearsals, I was ready to go. Got you. And then kit-wise, are you, are, are you talk to the drum tech and he's like, here's what Drew uses, here's what Drew used, you should probably use the same arrangement or same setup. Yeah, they were, they're pretty, they're pretty particular about what their what their front of house needs mm -hmm. to deliver what he's going to deliver and to do his job. So this summer specifically, it was just I literally bought Drew's drums because he was getting rid of them, and I was like, "Well, they're in the the train locker in Nashville. <laughs> Why don't I, we just do an exchange of money, and then you don't have to do that?" You know. Perfect. So we we I ended up kind of inheriting buying his drums, and uh, it made total sense, and they sound amazing. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, but part of me, me and Captain were talking the other day about how cool would it be to do this gig on a four-piece, like vintage Ludwig, couple of cymbals, no no real, just meat and potatoes, yeah. awesome stuff. So maybe... What, what is it now? Is it two up, two down? It's one up, two, one down, up, two down, side snare, multi-pad. Got you. Bunch of cymbals. Yeah, because it's, it's not a huge... I just remember seeing yeah. seeing Drew's kid. I was like, it's not, it's not a huge it's setup. It's not huge, but you can get away with doing that gig without the second floor, Tom. And mm -hmm. probably without the second snare. Maybe with the multi-pad, you'd need a couple bars up. But right. it would be fun to what's do the, that What's like the difference between... Way. Is it just tuning on the two snares? It's tuning and the second one is triggered. Got you. Yeah. Got you. So that's like Soul Sister. They're using the actual sample from, from, from the record. record. Right. Yeah. Okay, I'm not. A, I'm, I'm actually not like a. I'm not a huge gear guy. Yeah, you know, so like every kid, I, I'm I've always less of one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to be a big one. Now I'm like, I just need them to sound like drums, man. Yeah, I'm like a one up, two down. You know, or that's like beautiful. one up, one down. That's it, and just like that's all I need.
Have you seen the new Promark Select Balance? So Select Balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to Promark.com. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch, and the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range, so they sound great in the studio, and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware, and it's rubber on metal, and what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell, so you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. I love drums, but I don't love them enough to get into the gear. I mean, I geek out a little bit on the gear, but I try not to. Right. I always felt bad that I didn't. And like, you I, like I would go to Nam or like go to a drum shop and I would just walk around and I literally would like rub my finger on a, <laughs> on a cymbal or something. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. And yeah. I'm like, I don't even, it's so crazy. I shop with my eyes most of the time. I see, so... I see something that looks cool. I'm like, I'll figure out, if it sounds like shit, I'll figure out how to make it sound good because yeah. it looks awesome. I had a I had a <laughs> snare drum made from GMS Drums mm. and they were like, how do you want the the edges cut? And I'm like, I have no idea what, what you're talking yeah. about. And I'm like, here's the sound I want. And they're like, oh, you want rounded. I'm like, I, okay. I, and I kind of feel like an idiot that I'm like, should I know all this nah, stuff? No, you're a but, drummer. You don't have time for that. But there you're not are, a carpenter. But there are a lot of guys who are who are really like no. tuned into it and everything. But then the, as I've started doing, you know, as I've done these interviews, yeah. a lot of guys are like, yeah, I don't know, man. It just sounds yeah. good. I just put some heads on it. Well, especially when you have a guy like, like I'm lucky to have <laughs> on the train gig who I know that those drums are going to be dialed and sound great and feel right. great. And I know that the front of house, J-Mo, he's going to, dial it in perfectly as well i have full confidence in those people to the point where like later in the tour we didn't sound check very much oh, you no. know and like the first time i would be seeing the kit is the first song mm -hmm. that night and it felt great it was in the same exact spot perfectly dialed as it was yesterday new heads everything and it was just a thing of beauty also to that point of like what edge you're getting and what lugs and heads of course there's a an a percentage of that that's like okay i want coated emperors on the toms because i want a big beefy dark sound right. or something along those basic guidelines that all drummers think about but later in life especially for guys who work a lot you you realize that most of that is in the the mics and the signal chain and how everything's coloring your sound mm -hmm. you should more than anything more than you're hearing the drum from where you're sitting you should hear it 
in the front of house and talk to yeah. that talk to your engineer and work closely with them instead of really focusing on you know whatever you're you, you don't have the what the audience is going to receive by just standing sitting on stage and hitting your drums right. you Alfredo really Reyes know. was talking about that a lot Do you yeah. know Alfredo uh, no he, I know who he is I'm a big fan he is. yeah he he was saying the same thing along like <clears throat> there's all these people who get kits and get them all tuned up and everything but have no idea how it reacts to a microphone the yeah. placement of the microphone how it's EQ'd what it's sounding like out front yeah. and all that stuff and like what you're hearing behind the kit is not what they're hearing out front right. by any means right in the source it's always great that the source sounds great by itself but that's step one right you know yeah so there's a lot more going on than most most of us are aware of yeah of course yeah um so as we talked about before about like the sort of behind the scenes stuff and i'm, I'm always like I'm always fascinated how a lot of these things work and I, I know the audience would be too like so get the gig talk to drew get the kit right mm -hmm. you're like you start shedding were you shedding that kit in your practice room or just a different no just a different different my my drums in town here so then you show up uh show up at rehearsal which was where where was that? Uh, we had two days of rehearsal in LA. Okay. Um, and then we had two days of rehearsal in Seattle, and then we were in show mode. Got you. Yeah. So then you go, to, and then they're like, "Just be here at nine o'clock. Bus is gonna be here. Bring your shit, and let's go." Yep. It's amazing. I forget where we, how we ended up. I think we we did like production rehearsals into loading up and being the first show was maybe in Seattle. Right. So we were rehearsing where we were gonna be. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. How were the nerves the first couple shows? Do you feel good or? My set list, the nerves are, my nerves are always kind of on, you know, <laughs> but. Uh, They're always kind of yeah, on. <laughs> I never go through, I never, I never have a show where I'm not freaking out about right. uh, whatever. <laughs> That's a good way of, They're always yeah. on. Yeah, but especially the first show of, you know, I forget, I think it was Seattle and, and you know, you're in some big amphitheater and. Right. Uh. My set list, the funniest thing is to look at the evolution of my set list over the summer. Because at first it was like trigonometry equation. You right. know, I don't know. I mean, I have so many notes per song and I'm not reading charts, but I'm basically reading charts. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reading a book right. of notes. Like, don't forget the thing on the reintro of this song. Don't forget right. this thing. Don't forget this thing. The ending, here's who starts it. Because I'm also cueing tracks with my left. There's a tracks guy, this great guy, Tim Shanehalls, but all of it depends on this little pedal to the left of my hi-hat. Mm -hmm. um, and Drew helped me, Drew and Captain both helped me figure this out, but you're, I'm basically pacing the show. Right. So I need to learn where there's talk breaks, where there's different things. I have to read what Pat's about to do maybe um, and not start the song too early and mm -hmm. not keep everyone waiting to start the song. So there was a lot from like, command center drum set world there was a lot going on and a huh. lot a lot of nerves especially that first probably week of shows right and then they started feeling it out and getting more used to the the set and the pacing and everything and relaxing a little bit mm -hmm. so was there any did you drop the ball on anything i never had the like pants down <laughs> moment <laughs> luckily but like i have had those moments yeah um there was a <laughs> one one that didn't happen to me but happened to Luis uh, was he starts that song Drive-By. Mm -hmm. And it, this was like with a week left of tour. So everyone was on cruise control. Everyone was home in their brains. But we, uh, he wasn't, he didn't, 
it starts with him upstrokes on an acoustic guitar and I, I counted it in and in our in our inner ears is this count off one two three four bah, 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 and that's the start and I didn't hear him start the song so I had to double tap the pedal stop it look at him he goes okay and I hit it again he doesn't play again double tap I stop it and it, and it, the third time he he finally gets it but it felt like those like six seconds yeah, feel like a like, lifetime yeah and you're like okay was he just not on? hearing it he we talked after the show he's like i would think i was thinking about laundry <laughs> but that's the point you get to those are the yeah. those are the weird like three months in struggles where you're yeah. like i've been playing this song this same exact set list yep. for a month now like no changes mm-hmm. and i know what i'm doing it's just i forgot my yeah. brain broke and i was thinking about like, like, man, whites or colors fixed. in the laundry yeah and you're like, man, I, you know, I think my registration's up. I'm like, yeah. and they're like, oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah. oh hold on. And Pat's funny too. He was he like the rest the rest of the tour when that song came up. He'd be like, it's drive by to Louis, you know. <laughs> so there's all those on stage jokes. There was also a cream cheese packet that I don't even know who ended up with it. We had this cream cheese packet that uh, we would end up putting in each other's dresser drawers or in each other's luggage or in each other's bunks. And the, the ongoing joke was that whoever ended up with it at the end of tour had to eat it. And, <laughs> and who uh, got it? As far as I know, it's not me. Well, that's good. Yeah. You haven't no seen one's going to eat that. But, <laughs> you know, just stuff that gets you through these long droughts of not being home. And, yeah. You know, it's funny and it's inside stuff, but it's, it's what I think out of necessity, every touring crew and band does that kind of stuff no you go crazy yeah if not yeah. you'll just go crazy yeah what uh what so how long are you home i leave in a few days for a couple of weeks there's a, a few train fly dates and they do they do a lot of private mm-hmm. corporate gigs and um filling in the blanks i'm actually going to grace's festival uh and and i'm gonna watch watch her play for the first time since i've not been on the gig so yeah. that'll be great i can't wait to hear jordan play um, and, sh- uh, and then another train fly date and then um, let me see we're going to do a resonator shoot in, in Kentucky mm-hmm. and then another talk about that for a minute train fly date if, for, for who doesn't know what the resonator oh is yeah about. so so my girlfriend Allison has this uh, a synth project that's become a documentary project mm-hmm. and uh, it started when she took her she found, her her father died when she was ten weeks old. She never got to know him, and um, when she was about twenty five, she found this box in her grandmother's attic. She had never really had any interest in knowing about her dad or finding out anything about him. She just he wasn't in her life, and she mm-hmm. her her mom had had someone else, this man Alan, who's an amazing guy, and she basically grew up with a great father figure. Um, but so she had never really opened that box so to speak and mm-hmm. then when she found this thing in her grandmother's attic she popped it open and in in there was this uh machine called the resonator which was which was this amazing state of the art even to this day the pitch tracking software and it is insane um but had never really seen the light of day and it was mm-hmm. something her father was inventing and she decided to pursue that and try to finish his project and in that process she realized she was learning a lot about him and finally getting to know him mm-hmm. as an adult woman, finally finding her father through this machine. Um, and so she started filming and she's pursuing a documentary about the whole process. Yeah. Peter Gabriel's in on it. Uh, Gautier. So were all these people using people. it? 
Were they? Peter was the only only recorded sale. He bought three Got in it. the eighties. Got it. And so she was able to go over, and he he welcomed her in for an interview, and remembered the synth, and um, it's just huge. It's it's gotten this uh, such a. It's been so well received that she has really no choice than but to finish this project. Right. So that's what we're doing later this month. Mm-hmm. She's uh, I I don't I don't know if it's out of school to say this, but she's got Kenny Aronoff coming nice. because he was he was at. He'll be there with Fogarty at this mm-hmm. festival, and um, he weirdly enough, as she puts these pu- uh, puzzle pieces together, he was at her mom and dad's wedding. Really? Yeah, he's an Indiana guy. They were married yeah. in Indiana, and yeah. um, so that's yet another person who was who just kind of came out of the woodwork. That's it's awesome. Like, oh my God, Kenny Aronoff! I know that name. Yeah, I've heard of him yeah. before. Emmett Chapman was another one who was good friends with Don, her really? father. Yeah, the Chapman stick, yeah. the inventor of the yeah. Chapman stick. Um, they all hung together. He had so was some... he a musician? Emmett? No, oh, Don. no, 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 father. Yes, he was. He was Got a guitar it. player and a, an inventor, and he was into animation, and he was just a, a total artist, brainiac, genius guy. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a pretty crazy story. I'd encourage anyone to go check out Resonator. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's like it's super cool, and and I'm partial because. Uh, no, I'm with I mean, Allison, well, I'll say it because I think, I'm, I'm, I'm by, like, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's totally like, yeah. I was, I was reading about it and, uh, and you sent me some clips and everything, yeah. like, even, like the last time we were together and have been sort of like following the journey and yeah. like, it's just, it's this amazing yeah. synth that like, essentially he just kind of invented like in his garage, right? It's like, just crazy. He invented it with Mike Beagle, the Mutron guy. Uh, uh, he's a guitar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um. We actually put drums through it the other day. She had Fred Armisen mm-hmm. come play drums through it, and it was amazing. It, it reacted beautifully. Actually, awesome. ended up getting some really cool loops and stuff out of that. Nice. Um, so she's she's just on a tear. That's good. She's been doing really well with that. So I help out when I can. Right. Um, wherever, you know. So if, while you're a lot of times, I run one of these. Yeah. Zoom, just trying to run audio. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so while you're home, uh, you're going to be doing this resonator stuff. You have some some train fly dates, and then mm-hmm. and then I guess you just fill in the pieces while you're home, mm-hmm. right? You'll do like session work or yep. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Do been... you teach at all? I have. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't since I moved to LA. But um, I have, and I I enjoy it. I don't think I'm particularly good at it. Right. Yet, mm-hmm. but maybe someday. That's a skill, right? It's like anything else. It totally else. is. It's yeah. totally different because most drummers and most musicians can't explain what the hell they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, because they're yeah. in the zone, they're doing their thing. I think it's a real amazing and, and valuable skill to uh, be able to verbalize that. Yeah. And th- yeah. I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of great players who aren't very good uh, teachers. I think there's some yeah. really good teachers who aren't great players. Mm. And then you have the two, like, if you can meet the two, if you get someone yeah. who's a really great player and a really great teacher. See, I'm an adequate player and a bad teacher. So I'm working on that, both of them. I'm a bad player, <laughs> bad teacher. <laughs> Mediocre Great podcaster. podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 hours of podcast. Yeah, I, did, I think I... You gotta, you gotta be close. I'm, I mean, we're six years in, so... Congratulations! This thanks, man. It's so good to be here, man. Second it time. It is second time, and there's only a few people who've done it twice. So, man, I'm not saying you should feel, you know, proud or anything. It's more. I of am. Like, it's more of like a prison sentence. Yeah. <laughs> You're the, it's the, like graduating Berkeley. It's like, <laughs> oh man, you graduated. That's a big mistake, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, John Mayer didn't graduate. Yeah. Uh, but 
one, thank you for doing this again. My, uh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks two, for asking me back. Of course. Anytime. Two, uh, I would like to publicly apologize for the snafu on Saturday. Oh. Uh, we were supposed to record and there was a Pro Tools issue. Oh, yeah. We should say that this episode is not brought to you yes. by Pro Tools. By Avid Pro Tools. Yeah. yeah. Not brought to you. It wasn't your fault. It's it was their not. Fault. It was not. not. It's their fault. So we uh, we do not endorse Pro Tools. Yeah. On <laughs> not on here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, congratulations for all your success, man. And I know Thank that you. I know that that you've been working hard for years, and you continue to work hard, and that's the reason why you're in the position that you are. And I know that your trajectory is going to keep going up. But uh, but I applaud you for the things that that you've done so far, and I can't wait to see what you do in the future. Uh, so I would like thank to you. publicly say that to you and acknowledge that, and just thank you for for being you, man. Like you're always oh, man. you're always very you're always very gracious and open and warm, and and I appreciate that, and I think I that feel that's the why. the same way. Thank likewise. you very much. And enjoy the wine. Oh man, I owe you big time, <laughs> dude. Outclassed me. No way. Uh, but thank you again. I appreciate <laughs> thank it. Thank you, Nick. Of course. There you have it, the one and only Matt Musty. And man, talk about a guy who's just open, honest, you know, just always willing to share all the, the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts of everything and maybe the nicest dude you would ever want to meet. So be sure to check him out when he's out there on the road with Train and all the other various projects that he has going on. And I'll link up to everything in the show notes. You can find him at drummersresource.com forward slash session 513. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.